Hey guys, welcome to the Virtus Performance Podcast. This is episode 10. Today I sat down with Cam Elliott, or Coach Cam, as most of you guys would know him as, through Virtus. Now, Cam has a lot of layers and I love him to bits and I was really excited to be able to sit down and, and talk to him uh, about his journey, uh, why, he, why he does what he does, why he coaches, uh, what the future holds. We spoke about fucking up and making mistakes and, and dealing with what, all of those mistakes that we make and, and how we can make the best of it uh, to you know, create a better word for ourselves and we spoke about mentors and the importance of finding people to look up to and and to learn off and, and things like that so I think you guys will get a lot out of this I certainly did so yeah enjoy my personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Cameron Elliott, welcome to the podcast. How are you, mate? <laughs> if I just didn't say anything for <laughs> 20 minutes, we've got Cam Elliott here. Go for Cam. It'd be about as interesting <laughs> just, as Greg's podcast just if you didn't say anything for the first yeah, 20 minutes. Fair. Before we get started, I'm going to call out Simon Cooper because he's driving his mum's car. <laughs> like, he's driving the the mini the miniest of minivans. <laughs> it's like his mum's mum's car. Yeah. It's like the shout um, out to Grandma Cooper. Like that poo brown color. Um, what are they, the Mitsubishi? Uh, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, this it's, is it's a, one of the movies that sixteen-year-olds drive in American American. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Welcome to the Car Podcast with Cam and Lockie, <laughs> where we just talk about things we don't know anything about. Introduce yourself to the people. Tell us what's what. Who is Cam? What is Cam about? Um, Cam is about coaching at the moment. I think, and that has like so many aspects to it. Like it's. People would know me um, in my closest circles from being like one of the performance coaches here at Virtus. So I guess in those circles, I'm kind of known as like the strength and conditioning coach. Um, but there'd be lots of friends or other people outside of those circles that would know me as, like, I don't know, like um, someone that they can always rely on that can come and, and help dig them out of a sticky situation. Someone that can, <laughs> I'm going to... I won't call him out, but he knows who he is if he ever listens to this. Someone that can come and pick him up from Chapel Street at 2 o'clock in the morning on a, on a Friday night um, <laughs> um, when he runs out of money at the casino. And, yeah, like just little things like that, I guess, that, that, um, that I'm, I guess I'm proud of, proud of being. Like I don't make a big deal out of it all, but it's nice to sort of reflect on those things and know that... Um, all the time I spend during the week coaching people still manifests itself in different ways yeah. so that I can keep serving all my friends and family around me. Why are you a coach? Why do you coach people? Why is that your vocation? I think I, I, I do it in part because selfish, there's a selfish aspect to it because I want to I keep myself accountable. Um, I set myself to a, really, to a really high standard most of the time. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Yeah. So, you know, most of the time I set myself to this really high standard 
Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of pressure that I put on myself and when I coach people, I try and encourage that same sort of standard in them. Um, I, don't, I don't really particularly want to live in a world where we have people saying um, somebody should do something or somebody should you know, stop that. Or so. I'd, rather have, um, I'd rather have made the change in a few people where we have the opportunity or the ability to, to turn around and say, well, I have the, the power or the strength or the, um, I guess the ability to do something about that situation and I'd like to, I'd like to step up and have a crack at it. And I think that my, my best way of doing that, of serving that purpose is coaching and, and helping people get strong. Um, particularly women, I love getting I love getting girls strong. I love seeing that look in their eyes when they when they do something that like you know the first time they walk in and they see some of the strong girls in Virtus, they're like oh man I'll never do that and there's just like this I suppress it but there's just like this smirk that I want to let out and I'm yeah. like you have no idea man we'll get you there. give me three months and yeah. I'm gonna turn you into an absolute weapon and then you know you get them there and it's a it's a really slow methodical process and um, you know, I, I always find it a really special moment when um, I can help someone, you know, deadlift or squat their body weight or, or hit triple figures. And then you can just tell they're going to kick the door off its hinges when they leave and they're, gonna, they're just going to take the world by the nads and, and have a really good week or good month. And that's why I do it. I do it for those moments there. And, you know, they're very few. Um, you have very few milestone moments when you coach, but you try to make every session special and you try to take you know, whoever comes through the door away from their world for an hour yeah. and you give them, you know, your attention, your energy, your empathy so that they can have a really special occasion. But the milestones, they're very few and far between, but when they happen, they're really, really special. So I, I do it for primarily primarily because it helps me keep accountable on my standards and my training. Um, but there's also a really strong, strong purpose behind it where I'm just saying to people, hey, I'd love for you to, you know, fall down the rabbit hole with me because... It's the best thing I ever did. Come and improve. Yeah, actually, yeah. no, that's not the best thing I ever did. The best thing I ever did was start believing in myself. Like the training's good and the food's good and all that sort of stuff, but the best thing I ever did was start believing in myself. And I think that's why I like the coaching the most is because I want to help people believe in, them. believe in themselves yeah. a bit more. Cool. Yeah. Why do you think strength training is so important for empowering? You spoke about women, but everyone. Oh, I think it was like, I'm. Sh- I'm going to ruin the quote because you've caught me off guard and I just deadlifted. Why did I do this? Um, I think it was Aristotles. Aristotle. <laughs> same thing, same person. Aristotles. That's the, that's the fancy way of saying Aristotle. I think it was Aristotle that said, um, what, what a shame it would be for, um, for a person to go through their life and not, and not know what they're physically capable of. And it's so true. Like, you know, so many people live their nine to five job and they're excited for the weekend where they just get to go out and get drunk and they get to watch the football with their friends and stuff. No, that's fine, you know, you can be excited for what you for what you want to be excited for. Yeah. But these people have this this potential that they have inside them that I didn't recognise I had until you know, until I got introduced to a barbell when I was, you know, like 22, 2022, I think it was around about then. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. Like, you know, I started to find this thing that was that had no conscience and it had no um it had no agenda and it had, it was just this, this cold, lifeless piece of metal that was like extrinsic to myself. And I, every day I'd walk in the gym and I'd challenge myself and I'd see what I could do and, and it would beat me up. And if I did a shit job, it would, it would tell me that I did a shit job and, and I had to choose. I could either suck about it and walk away or I could look it in the cold, beady little eyes that I had and say, all right, next time, you know, next time I'll come in and I'll, I'll kick your ass. So yeah, for the last like, you know, six to eight years, that's, that's, 
that's been my my sole motivator is like I'm not going to let a, a lifeless inanimate object beat me and I think when people start to realize that that's that's one metaphor for life you know like life is this beautiful colorful spectrum of of experiences and emotions you fall in love you fall out of love you you make new friends you lose friends along the way but ultimately you don't want life to just be something that beats you up you want life to be something that you experience and that you enjoy and the peaks and troughs um i think for me the barbell was what really set me back on the path of experiencing and enjoying life again and i i love sharing that with people that come in and and lift weight with me i like i love it i fucking love it excuse my language no, play on. <laughs> Mum turned the point out. <laughs> Mum, no, 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 you don't understand, Mum. It's like, it's fine. Um, so yeah, that's why that's why I think it's so important. You know, obviously there's the physiological and the um, and all the health health benefits to it, but just the the psychological, psychological yeah, yeah, and even like the emotional benefits to it as well. Like, yeah. For for eight for year, nearly eighteen months, you know, there's that two hundred kilo deadlift that I was chasing. Yeah. And um, when I hit it. I had this rush of emotions that hit me and you know if you go back and watch that video you can see me get halfway and then it stops like it literally like <laughs> does grind to a stop and then I say something to myself which I can't repeat <laughs> but like you know I just felt this this flare of adrenaline and I got the bar up and I was like looking straight at Jared Kay who was sitting behind the camera like right in front of me and he's just got this big like smile on his face and he's cheering and all yeah. the boys there and I just wanted to burst into tears because I was like you fucking asshole, like I finally did it. Like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, like I beat that bar and then I put it down and, and I looked at Jamie and he just goes, keep pulling son and I just like, the video stuck, like cut short but I just like collapsed on the floor. I'm like, I can't move man, I'm dead. <laughs> and like they dragged me to the side, they put me up against the bar and Jamie's like, how you feeling, how you feeling? And I was like, I can't talk, I, just, I can't articulate how I feel. Like I felt elated, I felt angry, I felt disappointment, I felt joy like at all these things you know it's taken me 18 months to get here and then I had to repress that disappointment and be like no no experience the moment and enjoy the fact that you you know you've hit a really important milestone a training milestone and let's let's do it again so I think you know when we get people in like you know shout out to someone like Laura Laura Thorne who who you know she used to be one of the least confident people yeah um, when she walked in here and now she reps 75 80 kilos on a trap bar yeah and you know she swaggers out of the out the door and you're like Yes, my child. Go and destroy the world. You know, like little things like that. And you can sort of, you can share those experiences with people and they get this, this massive grin on their face and you, that's why I do it. And, and that's why I think a lot of people just need to um, at least try it. You know, like I'll, I'm open to trying anything. I've, I've tried CrossFit. I've tried Strongman. I've tried all these different things and, and they're all fun modalities. And I think that if we aren't trying new things, then that's, that's where we get stuck in that nine to five rut. And that's where we find ourselves not looking forward to anything but the weekend and and not really growing and adapting. A lot of us in here, I guess, see the gym as a metaphor for life, and I know you do. Mm. What, if someone is comes to you and goes, oh, I think I want to try, but I'm not sure, what would you say to them? If they wanted to try the gym. The gym, but like CrossFit, uh, yeah. powerlifting, it doesn't matter what. If they want to hang out with that inanimate object of the barbell, yeah. oh, what man. would you tell them? I would... See, part of me, part of me would just clap my hands, and be like, "Yes, let's do it, let's get something." <laughs> but I know that I, I can get really. Not many people have seen that side of me. Like, I, I know I can get really overzealous and and really excited about things, and that can scare people. So I try, I try to to go the nurture route. So I let them, 
I'm, I'm notorious for not following people up when they say, I want to come train. I'm like, that's fine if you want to come train, cool. Full stop. Yeah. You know, message me. Yeah. Full stop. And I won't, re- I won't message them. And then everyone's like, you got to do this, you got to do this. I'm like, no, no. If someone wants to come, then they'll come. And, and that's when I want to work with them. Yeah. And when they, when they make that step, there's always like a, a really cool moment where we share like a smile and, and it's like a really knowing smile. I'm like, awesome. Like, you're never going to look back. You're in, yeah. Yeah, like you've done it. You've taken the step. So let's, let's, let's take the first few steps, baby steps. We won't leap in, um, which is what we were talking about with Josh the other day. You know, like everyone wants to... Yeah, I reckon I get like 30 messages around about New Year's. <laughs> Man, it's time. I'm going to do it. Well, I'm going to... Yeah, and I'm we like, oh, do. awesome. You know, if you want to come see me, come see me. And then, you know, it's these people taking these big jumps. Yeah. And as soon as you let your feet leave the ground, you're committed to that trajectory. And it's so easy to just like, you know, you, you fuck the landing or you just land on your ass. Like, no, I can't do this. Yeah. But when people come to me and they're really serious and they start taking those baby steps and we can like focus on the path and we can make sure that we're making all the right steps and, and we're progressing, you know, beautifully and consistently. I think there's this, like this, this transition where they go from baby steps to, Okay, like I get it now, and, yeah. and then you. Start, I know what to expect. I yeah, and then I'm you doing. start like loading the bar up, and and then they start feeling that elation and that joy of just picking up something heavy. Yeah, that's that's, you know, it could be the hardest thing they do all day, in terms of something physical, um, and then it manifests this joy in them. And you know, they've had a shit day with their boss, and their boss has ridden them into the ground. They might be having an argument with their partner or their parents. They walk in the door. They've got all this baggage, and they put it down at the door, and then they they bust their ass against the barbell and the barbell doesn't talk back the barbell doesn't say anything it just sits there and you pick it up or you don't and then um, you know they pick it up and they go fuck yeah that was the hardest thing I've done all day but in my head I'm like no it wasn't but now you're going to go and take on all those other things that have really bugged you and you're going to have a different outlook on it and I think that's where that's where the joy comes from and that's that knowing smile that we share as soon as they say that that beautiful first sentence like oh I'd love to come and see you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. Like, let's do it. And then they, they rock up. I'm like, yes, intro session. Like, yeah. let's just take it slow and, and like, let, let me show you around. Let, let's see what other people are doing. Hey, over there, there's like, you know, um, there's KP and she's just training in the corner and she's killing it. And, she, and people are like, oh, man, that's amazing. You know, you've got guys and girls in here just killing it and all sort of self-managed. And yeah. I think, I think that's like an inspiring thing for them. And then we nurture that and just like building a fire, you know, you get your tinder and you spark it up and, turns in this beautiful flame and then the, don't let the flame die and you're laughing forever it's good keep going and yeah. it's just it allows people to get out of their out of their head for a, an hour Even of their day it's just an hour, and man, into like their body and allows them to express what they're feeling and yeah, what they're going through massively i think it's even more than that like we we give them an hour of our time yeah. and i think it's i think it's criminal that they pay us like i think it's <laughs> you know i'm so privileged to be in this industry yeah but um you know, like the hour before it, they're looking forward to it. And then the hours after it, they're remembering, yeah. you know, this session that they've absolutely crushed. And as coaches, there's an element of strategy to it. We've got to make sure that they get the most out of the session. So we don't want them missing reps. But sometimes I'll just throw some of them in the deep end. I'm like, well, let's see what you can fucking do. You know, let's, again, Laura T <laughs> like, or yeah. Beck, like, let's throw you in the deep end and see what you can do. And then they, you know, they, they might... You know, they might not get the bar off the floor, but they just look straight at me like, man, like, I know I can get that. Yeah. yeah, I know you can. Like next Give week or the taste. week after. Yeah, just a little taste. And and I think that's that's the cool thing that um everyone wants to experience. But again, if you jump at it and you take too big of a leap and then you fuck up, that can do more damage than like like more mental damage than it can physical. So you've just got to be careful with how 
yeah. you know, how far you jump forward to well, start that, off. That's the it. art of being a coach and yeah. figuring out what, mm-hmm. to, what to prescribe and what to give. Yeah. What, is, what is the most challenging aspect of coaching, of being a coach? Oh, man. Um, I guess for me, the most challenging thing about being a coach would be to... to I've got to learn to be... Pa- well, I have learned, but it's that patience of, you know, not everyone comes in because they are as passionate about it as us. Yeah. You know, we, I love we chose, lifting. We chose it as a yeah, job. Yeah, that's right. right. Like, I love lifting because it literally saved my life. And I love lifting because every day I get to challenge myself. But, you know, some people, they just want to come in for a little bit of general fitness and they yeah. just want to come in for a gap and that's awesome. Um, and some some people want to come in and they just want to be savage. I'm like, cool, I'll teach you, I'll teach you how to be savage. Like, yeah. Let's be barbarians. Um, so I've got to find that beautiful point where... I have enough empathy. I have it. Let me say that again. I have enough empathy per day to go around for everyone. You know, I've got those people that want to come in and crush it, and I've got to give them a lot of highly charged energy to get them through these really tricky sets. And then I've got some people that just want to come and have a gap, um, or they've had a really tough week or a tough month, and I've got to give them a lot of my empathy as well to get them through an hour where they're not thinking about that hard day anymore. They're thinking about, um, you know are my knees in line with my hips and my toes? Because if they're not, then Cam's going to yell at me and, like, you know, am I standing tall through the bar when I'm squatting or when I'm deadlifting or something like that? So, you know, um, that's probably one of the hardest things that I've found as coaches, as coaching. And that's probably after, you know, um, being six years deep in the industry. But I think a lot of young coaches would, their instinctive thing would be like, oh, getting clients. Yeah. You know, like, oh, it's got to be getting clients. And I disagree. I think getting clients is... is for want of a better word, easy. Like, it's not about getting clients. It's not about getting clients. Like, I'm the least busy person in the world and I've got maybe 20 hours, 25 hours of coaching a week. But they're all great people. They are all consistent. They all rock up on the, you know, 15 minutes before a session, they crush it, then they leave. It's about fostering those relationships with those people that you spend that time with. And that's what makes you a better coach. Like, it makes you a better person, but it makes you a better coach. Um, So, yeah, when I started, it was definitely like, I've got to get busy. Because, you know, I've got no money. And I can't afford this. <laughs> yeah. And then as I sort of developed, I was like, man, I can't, be, I can't even give a fuck. Like, you know, my parents always like, can you afford it? You know, how do you go for it? I don't give a fuck yeah. if I can afford it. You know, I'll find a way to afford it because I freaking love it. Yeah. Um, and then when you, when you start to develop that mindset, that's where the bills start to get paid. You know, there's a bit of anxiety around it all, but... That when anxiety you, will come with any job. Yeah, exactly. And anxiety is so natural as well. Like that's yeah. how the bills get paid. If you suppress the anxiety, <laughs> the bills don't get paid. Yeah. You have to have the anxiety, otherwise the bills don't get paid. So, you know, when, when I have clients that come in and they're single mums and they're stressing their heads off, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, don't apologize. Yeah. I want you stressed. I want you feeling it. They're called emotions. Feel them. They're don't good. think. Yeah. Because that's how you get the, the food on the table for the kids. That's how you make their environment better. You know, just don't just don't drown them in the environment. You know, acknowledge that you're stressed. Let's beat it up. Let's let's do some deadlifts. And then they deadlift and they're like, yes, I'm not fucking sorry. And then they kick the door off like, yes. Now go and teach your kids to be great. <laughs> go and pay those bills. Yeah, go pay them bills, baby. <clears throat> how how important for you is it to get to get to empower your clients and the people around you to experience those emotions and enjoy those emotions? Because I guess you're someone who's probably struggled at times with emotions, but allowing mm. yourself to grow and adapt and learn from them? Mm. Um, I think it's really important that, again, this comes back to my, um, my analogy about subjective and objective. You know, everyone, I can, I can give someone a red pen and objectively we can say, yeah, that's a red pen, but subjectively no one can tell me what red is. You know, everyone can sort of sit there and go, oh, well, it's the color of blood or it's, it's an apple. I'm like, well, that's, that's just what it is. But what is red? And 
again, that's another thing that can be a little frustrating is someone can say, why don't they just get it? And it comes back to the difference between knowing and knowledge, yeah. the red pen. They see the red pen and they can acknowledge that it's a red pen, but they can't explain to you why it's red to them. So for me, I try to, I try to be this fun, energetic goofball so that they have an opportunity to develop that um, develop that skill set in a safe environment like I, I don't want to be a repressive guy and sort of say like you know we have to take this super serious you know like when it's time to be serious and I'll put my serious pants on I'm like alright we're picking some, up some heavy weights so let's you know 30-40 seconds of serious time but then for the rest of it let's just be let's just be silly so that they can feel um, safe I think is number one and then when you feel safe you can start to express yep. and when you start to express all of a sudden you start developing different veins of strength like, you know, you've got your emotional veins of strength, you've got your physical veins of strength, sexual veins of strength, and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a really cool book about all that. But, you know, I want to develop that, that safe environment where they can express their emotions. And then, you know, when they pick up something heavy and they want to cry, have a cry, man. Like, do it. Like, that's good. That's a feeling and I want you to feel it. Or if they, if they miss a lift or if they do a shitty lift and they get angry, it's cool to get angry. Yeah. Like, I, I want you to get angry, but don't take it out on the bar. And don't take it out on yourself. Just feel angry and go, well, I did a shit job. So now it's be got to be better. Move yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's really... Um, it's really important that they feel the emotions, but I'm never going to push someone to... Like, you know, if, if they're feeling angry, I'm not going to sit there and go, just get angry and like hit something. I'm just going to say, okay, well, you know, let's, let's feel angry and let's feel sad. Let's feel what we're feeling. And then foster that and be better for it. Um, some people are ready for it and some people just aren't and yeah, you, you kind of pick up on the cues for when people are and when people aren't. I yeah. think that's probably one of my one of my better qualities is I'm, I'm very aware, like we're very good at sharing empathy. We're not very good at recharging, <laughs> but we're very good at sharing empathy yeah, that's true. and we're very good at picking up on social cues. Yeah. So but that comes with knowing the people that come yeah in exactly like and having those per- personal and professional relationships yeah massively and the more you expose yourself to different people the better you get at speaking so many different languages that you know you can send me anyone and I can sit down and relate I'll find something to relate with them which is super important even if it's something I've never done I can sit there and again with that empathy I can appreciate that hey, that's something I've never done before, but that sounds really interesting. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I've disarmed their suspicions and I've disarmed their preconceptions and I've disarmed their, I guess, their uncomfortable idea of what we're going to do. And then they can start getting comfortable and talking to me and opening up. And I think that's a really important thing to, um, like a really important step to helping people develop that safe space for emotional security. Yeah. yeah. And then if they can develop that in here, just like the barbell, you know, we want you to be strong and we want you to have great posture and all those and and a strong core so that you can go and have a hike and you can go but I also want you to have an emotional stability that you can go home and have a conversation with your loved ones and and acknowledge that even though they don't get what you're doing that doesn't make them assholes it just means that they aren't ready to resonate with you but you have to still acknowledge that they are still people and they just see the colour red differently to you so I think yeah the um we do a good job of that here, but we need to be better as individuals at just acknowledging that there's there's um, a lot of work to be done. Definitely, definitely. What's, what's the one thing you wish or you, you would like all of your athletes and everyone who comes to see you to know or understand? 
Just the goddamn warm up, guys. I mean, God. <laughs> how hard is it? You know, I'll, I'll see, I'll see, I'll see someone sitting on a roller and they're looking at me like, "You've been there for ten minutes." And they're like, "Yeah, what do I do next?" It doesn't change. Like it's the same. <laughs> um, no, okay. Honestly, I would love for them to understand that every single day we walk on the precipice of comparison. We we are just a misstep away from falling into this dark chasm of comparing ourselves to one or five or ten other people that have so many of their own problems going on that you never see, but we only identify with the things that we see they're successful with. So to make a super big generalization, um, let's use Greg. Like, let's use Greg. So uh, Greg drives a BMW, and everyone would sit there and go, oh, wow, yeah. Greg drives a BMW. Like, that's great. Yeah, of course he drives a BMW. He's earned... A BMW. That's right, yeah. But there are some people out there that go, oh, I'll never have a BMW. Yeah. You know, Greg must be so successful. <laughs> is that, that overnight success that took 20, yeah. 30 years, right. 40 years? How old so, is he now? 50, 60? Oh, he's something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> he's, he's, oh, he's way too old for Carolyn, that's for sure. She's like 30. <laughs> True. <laughs> Shout out. Um, but people, people only see these, these sort of um, external things and they're like, oh man, I'll never have that. And, yeah. and you sit there and you want to slap him and go, dude, it's not about that. It's it's about the purity of the person and what they are presenting to you. Like, I would be hard pressed to find a single person that would have a bad thing to say about Greg because he gives you all of his time when he sits down and has a conversation with you. He gives you all of his time when he hasn't got time, and that is a beautiful quality in someone. But there are still people before they get to know Greg that sit there and go, oh. Got a BMW, does he? Yeah. Yeah, he does have a BMW. <laughs> you fucking goddamn right he has a BMW because he yeah. has, you know, he's earned the right to drive a BMW. And then they see my car, shout out to the Golden Stallion. <laughs> you know, they see that. Golden Stallion. Yeah, they see that and they go, is that what you drive? Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. Gets me from A to B. Just, but it gets Just. me there. You know, like the fuel gauge is busted and traction control doesn't work. And, you know, there's all these little, little things that just, just bug me about it. But you know what? That's, that's where I am at the moment. And I could sit there and I could compare myself to, to you with the new car and KP with the new car and Greg with his BMW and go, man, I'm so far behind everyone. Or I could just come and beat up myself, sorry, beat myself better at my craft every yeah. day, get better, jump in the Golden Stallion, you drive do you. myself home. Yeah. You do you, yeah. Drive myself home, get up, do it again, do it again, do it again. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And then when I am ready to move on to that next phase of my life, I can turn around and say, you know what, I've earned enough money that I can buy a BMW yeah but I wouldn't drive a BMW because they're for losers do you know what the difference between a porcupine and a BMW is porcupines pretty on the outside yes very very good tell me tell me a little bit more about your role at Virtus so like you're more than a performance coach here and I think we both agree with that oh look um I'm the owner, I'm the cleaner, <laughs> I'm the accountant, I'm the booking. The only okay. cleaning you do is with the barber. Correct, well, correct. I want to I touch on something that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Hit so me. We've, we've butted heads a little bit over the last, what, two years of being Virtus? Yeah, Sometimes, I'd say that's fair. Yeah, but always coming out the other side, better. Yeah, we always just like have a conversation. <laughs> I'm still cold. I'm going to put this on my head. I'm, okay. I'm boiling. Um, for those of you that don't know, Lachlan's like a bear. He's just <laughs> constantly trying to hibernate away from winter. So we've got like the heater on at like 48 degrees. It feels like an Arizona winter right now. It's so freaking hot. I'm dying. There you go. I'm actually dying. Um, yeah, like we'd always... Like, oh, I don't know what it is. I think it's just... 
this was before I'd had that um, perspective of, well, I know what I know and Lockie knows what Lockie knows and Jesse knows what Jesse knows. You know, I'd offer advice yeah. or input and you guys would sort of like say, yeah, 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 and then brush it off and I'd be like, don't brush it off because <laughs> I fucking know that this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And then it'd happen and then I'd just shut my mouth and be like, don't say anything. <laughs> and then you guys would just sort of like, it'd like be battle stations for like two months. I'm like, oh my God. this is why I don't have hair. You know, I pulled on my hair <laughs> and I've come from like job after job where I've just got this, this, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, um, what's the word? I'm a proactive guy instead of a reactive guy. Yeah. And then I'd sit there and I'd be like, do you remember what happened last time? Last time I said this. And then you guys are like, shut up, Cam. I'm like, come down. I just want to kill everybody. <laughs> and then I decided, you know what? They need to learn the steps yeah. just like I did. Yeah. And I had people that were sitting there pulling their hair out when I was making the same mistakes yes. they made. And when I cycle. yeah, and when I had that realization, like I stepped back and I was like, oh, duh, just be there to help them pick the pieces up yeah. if they need to be picked up, and if they don't, help them celebrate the wins when they have them. And then when I started doing that, like, you know, obviously we started having way better, oh, like it's it's improved. cohesion, yeah, the relationships significantly, improved. yeah. And I just realized like I don't have to be the dad, I don't have to be the guy <laughs> that says, and I was, I was my own dad, and I'm like, oh no. Which I, you know, I love my dad, but he's so protective. You know, he's always like, "Don't do this, don't do this." And you know what I did? Every yeah. time he said, "Don't do something," I was like, "I'm gonna do that." <laughs> yeah, like course. I need to know why yeah. I can't do that, and then I'd learn from well, it. It was it was the same relationship, just yeah, in a just, different different part. And then I, I slapped myself in the face. I'm like, "I am my dad." <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> and then I took a I took a big step back, um, and then you know things started going wrong, but things started going right. And then when things went wrong, I'd step in and help. When things went right, I'd take a step back and go, well done guys, like that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then we had so much more cohesion, relationships started getting better. And then, yeah, we, we just got so much better for it. And I realized, um, this is probably over the last maybe six weeks that I had this realization, but this relationship dynamics been going on for like a year now. A couple of years, yeah. yeah. I realized that it was because I was trying to... I was trying to, I guess, for not not sounding like an asshole, but just impose my will on the environment because I didn't want anything to go wrong. Because I had that high empathy where I was like, man, Lockie's got so much riding on Virtus being successful. Like, it doesn't bother me. Okay, like, we're subbies. If Virtus goes under tomorrow, we hope it doesn't, but we can just go to a gym. You know, yeah. we can take our business yeah. somewhere else. And I was like, man, so much riding on Lockie and, and Jesse at the time. Like, Virtus needs to be successful and... I can see there's so many pitfalls and I've come from these different aspects of different businesses and this, these, these things I can do to help. You know, I'd always be pestering Jesse. I'm like, do you need help with accounting? Because I can do it. I'm really good at it. He's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I can do it. And, you know, he wouldn't pay an invoice for a week. I'm like, I want to kill you. Like, I can do this. He's like, no, 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 I've got to learn. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You've got to learn. Okay, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, over the last maybe six weeks, I've sort, I've sort of just been reading more and watching cool documentaries and stuff. And I was reading this thing about... Um, the man what's the name of that park it's a really famous park too in America where's Yogi from Yellowstone Yellowstone Park Park. (laughs) where's Yogi from Um, where they reintroduced wolves or no sorry wolves found their way back into Yellowstone Park after not being there for like 60 years because they were hunted out Um, and when they were hunted out the ecosystem changed so dramatically that you know, deer and moose were coming through and eating all the vegetation. All the vegetation was going and it was making it really no hard predators. for... Yeah, it was yeah. making it really hard for birds and, and for the smaller kind of um, um, mammals to, to find homes and stuff like that. 
and I was reading more. I'm like, that's so amazing. Anyway, long story short, wolves came back and did what wolves do and started eating stuff. <laughs> and there was this um, big uproar. Everyone was like, oh my God, we've got to hunt them out again. And then one little committee sort of said, said no, like, let's see what happens because this is interesting. So people were worried that the, the wolves would take over. And then all of a sudden this beautiful balance came back. You know, the wolves were naturally predating on the mammals that were eating all the vegetation and then small mammals came back, birds started coming back, Yellowstone turned this beautiful national park again and people started enjoying it more. Yeah. And I was reading, I'm like, man, wolves are really cool. So I started, <laughs> I started like watching cool videos on wolves because I knew a bit about them. But Completely understandable response. Wolves it, are very cool. Wolves are very cool. And I was, I was reading all about them and, and I was reading about, um, or I was watching this documentary on wolves and about these, um, these wolves that got uh, rehomed to a different park um, for the same reason, like 30 years ago, just to because the, the predation rates were so low um, that all of these mammals were coming through and just eating out the vegetation. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. This is exactly like in Yellowstone. Um, and it was a story about this alpha, this alpha wolf that had come through all of the ranks, but he hadn't come through the ranks, like fighting at everyone to be the alpha. He'd come through and he'd just stuck by the alpha's side. So he was like the alpha's like, confidant and best part and my understanding was always if you were the alpha you would you'd gotten there because you'd beaten off everyone else that wanted to take the job and this alpha was the alpha because the alpha that was originally the pack leader had died in a border skirmish against another pack of wolves and none of the other wolves wanted to take up the mantle of um, alpha because the beta wolf who had been hanging out next to this alpha wolf kind of got pushed into it they were like well you know hey, John, you're now the new alpha because you've been hanging with the alpha for so long. And this alpha didn't have like a um, have like a, a lady alpha, a female alpha, because she had died as well. So the beta stepped in as the alpha, fostered all of the alpha's kids, and then like took over the, the tribe. And I was like, that's such an interesting thing. Like, you know, that's completely against what I understood for wolves. Yeah. And then, you know, like three years later, the wolf, the wolf was old and then some new, not like young new wolf came along and like killed that alpha and became the alpha. And I was like, well, that's more like what I know for wolves. But again, this alpha was pretty old. Like they'd been around for you know nearly 11 years or 12 years. And um, I was reading more into it. And I thought like, that's such a cool concept where, if everyone was fighting to be alpha of the pack or alpha of the environment, then everyone would just just kill each other and nothing would be done. Nothing's left. Yeah. yeah. So in order for the ecosystem to thrive, just like having the wolves come back, there needs to be a balance. And I thought instead of being like the alpha and trying to make sure that the environment is smooth and that everyone is, is um, safe and everyone's doing their jobs, I could just be that reliable beta and then I had that realization, well, that's what I've been doing for like the last year. I've been taking a step back and then asking like, yeah. do you need help with anything? And then you're like, yeah, I need this, this and this. Or no, I don't. I'm like, cool, that's fine. And then things were getting done so much smoother. And I was from an outsider's perspective sort of sitting there with pride, like I'm, I'm watching you guys grow. And more so you now because Jesse's not here anymore. But I'm like, I'm watching you grow and I'm watching you develop. And I'm like, yes, dude, that's it's perfect. Like you're killing it. Or, you know, you're making a mistake. I'm like, oh, does he need help? No, he's got it, he's got it covered. You know, yeah, always you were there when I did need help. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you'd ask for help. Like, of course, man, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And then we'd, we'd knock it out. And, like, that's what I realized. Like, I've, I've assumed that mantle, not so much like I'm not the second in charge or anything, but I've just assumed that mantle in more than just this environment as well, like at home as well. I used to butt heads with Dad all the time. 
but that's because I was like, Dad doesn't get it. I'm a man now. Dad does get it. He does understand, and he just feels a little threatened. So yeah. I was taking a step away from that and going, look, Dad needs to feel like he's still head honcho, and he is head honcho because he's the fucking man of the house. Yeah. I'm also a man in a house that already has a man, so I need to be less of the man of the house and less and just more of a supporting role. Yeah. And then, you know, when I have kids, I'll be the man of the house, and I'm sure I'll have this same problem when I have kids. <laughs> you know, if I have a son... He'll be lucky to live to eighteen, I reckon, because you know from the last well, year any, I've just anything been like you. correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so you know that's the the thing that I've been working on lately. I've been doing a little bit of writing and, and writing up this concept about just being a reliable beta because there's such a. I don't want to say it's negative. I don't want to say it's pollutive, but there's just this this new trend going around of you know how to be an alpha male in your environment, and I'm like, man, if you read this and buy into this and then go to work tomorrow and, and try, try to do it. this yeah. you're going to get fired you're going to piss some people yeah. yeah and you know what there's a pecking order for a reason these people have put their hard yards in and if you go in and start beating your chest you're not going to be a part of the group they're yeah. going to cast you out you'll be a rogue so I think it's important to draw a line and as Greg says you know um, I'm a big fan of this too like you know you speak your truths and you have your standards you have your morals and you don't you don't push that boundary unless you're pushed Yep. But if someone wants to be the big, loud um, gorilla, then you let them. And if it's working, then let them. If it's not working, have a conversation. Yeah. If the conversation breaks down, then do something. Then you have to step in or you step away. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I've just been sitting there and acknowledging where my place is in different social circles and where other people sort of see themselves. And I've been able to kind of like, I don't know, pick, pick groups apart and pick out who the natural leaders are and who the repressed people are in those environments. It's been really interesting and I've learned more about people and myself from it, which has been really cool. I definitely don't think there's merit to, like, you don't let people walk all over you. And, like, you know, if anyone knows me, I fucking never let people walk all over me. Like, if you try, it's going to be a two rams butting heads. Yeah. But my problem, again, comes back to being overzealous. You know, I'm so protective of mine and my friends' environments that when I feel like someone's encroaching a, a territory my hackles come up and I'm like, hey, take a step back. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But it's too late. You know, I'm already like, I'm already my fur's already, already up. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, let's do it. So yeah, I've just taken that step back and, and now I'm picking up on more social cues. And I think it's really interesting that um, from a person that's, well, from a person, full stop, I can learn so much from an animal that I, only, I thought I knew so much about already. And then I went and did a little bit of research and realized I didn't know as much shit. As like, yeah. I didn't know anything about yeah. it. Like oh, I knew the bare bones of it. I was like, man, this is so interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a really cool. Um, yeah, well, I think the main thing I got out of like, that chat we had a couple of weeks ago was just the importance <clears throat> of understanding your role and what role you play in whatever yeah. organization or team or group yeah. or family setting you've and got. Because if you understand your role, you can identify where you need to help and where you need to push and where you need to pull and where you need to step back. And yep. It's easy. It's yeah. simple. The weakest, the weakest chains always have one link that lets them down. And I think if you acknowledge where you sit in that chain, you can then sit back from an outsider's perspective and say, am I the weak link? And if I'm not, I need to pick up the slack. Yeah. Definitely. Until you can help someone identify with themselves that they're being the weak link or that they're ready to say, am I the weak link? Or until they're ready to do the same. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got a really strong environment where everyone... Not everyone has to get along, but, you know, the jobs get Everyone's done. Everyone's moving and, in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. And it's just such a, you know, at least this way, you're not sitting in the middle of the ocean waiting for the wind to blow. You pick the oar up and you start start rowing. Yeah. Um, 
and I think a lot of people just get stuck. You know, the wind's not blowing, and they sort of just sit there and put their hands on their legs and go, "Well, <laughs> it's not working for me." Well, you know, I don't have oars. Well, you got shoes. You know, <laughs> use your shoes. You got hands. Use your hands. Yeah. Like you know, Problem do solved. do something that's more than nothing, and you will find find something happening. Yeah, start moving. Progress is progress. Yeah, learn how slow. Of course. Right. I want to talk about education a little bit. Hit me. Why is continual education both in the gym and outside the gym so important? Oh to you? my lord, so so important. Um, I think it needs to be important to everyone again yeah. because like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to come from um, it doesn't have to come from conventional sources, and I'm a testament to that <laughs> yeah, because. And I'm not even talking about uni because this whole thing about this like reliable beta came from me sitting there. I can't even remember the situation. But you chased, that, you, but you started educating yourself on something you yeah, were excited I was like, about. I was like, man, wolves are fucking awesome. And then I watched something, I was like, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know shit about wolves. And then yeah. I started reading some stuff and I, I watched some videos. And now I found this really cool um, realization about myself, all from. Being curious, and I think that curious step is, is step one. Being curious and then being more informed and then making an informed decision or an informed opinion. And I think too many people get curious, then they get informed, but they don't take the step from informed to informed opinion. They just get informed and they take that step back to curious and then they're like, well, I'm, I've learned it. Yeah. And you haven't learned it. And then they... And then no, they, I've done my research. Yeah. No, and then I've they done start my spitting I read their, an article. Yeah, they start spitting their subjective information. You're like, that's not the science. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? That's not at all what the science is. Like, yes, it is. I read it. I'm like, well, did you read it on Reddit? Because that's pretty <laughs> inaccurate. So I think... It was a having, Facebook uh, link. Yeah. I think having the, um, the ability to teach yourself something new. Um, so it doesn't have to be uni. It doesn't have to be a... Like, TAFE, it doesn't have to be high school. While these are very important veins, um, I think it's important that you that you learn something new all the time because it, it teaches you different ways that or different weaknesses that you have that you need to strengthen. Yeah. Teaches you to discern between good information and shit information. And shit information, yeah. Like I'm so even though uni and I didn't agree and I really struggled, I did actually get to learn how to um, how to find really strong evidence-based information. So I'm eternally grateful for that because now I can actually sit there and have a, a good argument with someone, like, you know, not an argument, but like a, a conversation with someone. Yeah. And I can say, well, I read this article and here is my strong reference. Like, yeah. this isn't just a, a Facebook article. This is a strong reference. So I think having that ability is really, really good. Um, but it also, this is my, uh, again, I'm going to swear, I call this the, the framework for fu- fucking up. Um, I could just call it the fuck up framework, I suppose, and make it even simpler. So every time I've made a mistake, it lays a girder down and it gives me an ability to acknowledge, oh, sorry, it gives me an opportunity to express um, my acknowledgement that, well, that's not the way that I do that. But just because that's not the way that I do that doesn't mean that that's not a way to something else. Yeah. So let's not forget that. Let's keep it. And then I'll try something else and I'll lay another girder down and that won't work. And before you know it, I've laid maybe four or five girders down like on the foundation of this framework that aren't the right way, but the sixth one is. But I've just learned five other things. Even though they're not the way, I've learned six, like five other things yeah. plus the thing that works. And then I just start laying girders the other way when I want to learn something else. And then, you know, maybe in eight or nine months' time, um, something comes up and someone says, oh, have you ever done or heard or seen or blah, 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 this? I'm like, oh, actually, back to. yeah, let's go back to like 17 layers of this framework where I fucked up on my third time. I've actually experienced this before and this is what happened. And I've become, a, I guess, a font of knowledge, just general knowledge, but it's, you know, 
98% of the time useless and then that 2% of the time someone goes, oh, you've actually done this before and then I show them like, yeah, I've done this and I fucked it up and you know, this is how I got around it. It didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Um, I think having the ability to make mistakes and acknowledge that you've made a mistake, you don't have to stand on a soapbox and acknowledge you've made the mistake. You have to acknowledge the mistake yourself and then you will get better for it every single time. Good. I think, uh, is it Edison? Edison like, oh, someone, I can't remember. You know, they fucked up a thousand times and on the thousand and first time they, they nailed it. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay, well, there you go. Okay. I think he might have stolen it from Tesla though. <sighs> Classic. Let's, uh, let's carry Classic. on. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, guess, so I read this Facebook article that says... <laughs> Good. How, how, I guess, for, for everyone, most people who listen to this will know Greg and will know, understand. Greg. <laughs> we'll, we'll understand a little bit about him from the podcast we did with him a while ago. Um... And I guess the type of person he is being an educator all around the world, which we're very fortunate to have him mm. in our building. Mm. How has Greg helped you, helped you, I guess, educate others and Man. improve the way you educate others? It's a super question. I'm very fortunate. Um, I'm just very fortunate in that every single time I've been in the hardest periods of my life, I've always had someone that's been a bit older than me um, step in, not even step in, but just... You know, I've looked to them for advice and they've taken up a mantle of like a mentor role. And I guess this just comes back to um, like my relationship with my dad is, is, is okay. We've, we've got a strong father-son relationship, but we're not um, best mates. You know? yeah. Whereas I see other people that are like best mates with their dads, but they get away with murder. I'm like, man, my dad would have kicked my fucking ass. But there's a reason why I have this relationship with dad. It's because it's it's instilled in me a really strong discipline and you know just like my dad I've made some really terrible mistakes in my life and we've all made mistakes and just like my dad I've got the resilience and the strength to acknowledge them and step up and make things right and for that I'm very proud that you know I've got a dad like like Wayne um shout out shout out (laughs) shout out to Wayne who you know he's he's a king and he's been there for me when I've hit rock bottom and turned around and said, all right, I'm going to talk to you guys about really big issues. But I've always had people like Greg, and before Greg, it was a guy named Mark. Um, before Mark, it was a guy named Murray. You probably know Murray. Murray Peel from Footscray, uh, from Mornington Bulldogs, maybe. maybe. No, yeah. And, you know, he was best mates with Simon Goosey. So, like, Peely, Peely was probably my first experience at having an older friend who had a lot more life experience than me. And he stepped in and he took the... Actually, before Peely, it was even my, um, my English teacher, Michael Long, who was, who was, he was the guy that convinced me to just leave school. He just said, you don't need school. Like, you're wasting your time at school because you don't want to be here. And I was an asshole at school. But he sat me down and instead of saying, um, stop being an asshole, he just said, like, do you want to be at school? I said, fuck no, of course I don't want to be at school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I thought I was just the top shit. <laughs> but I don't want to be at school, I need school. And he's like, you're right, you don't need school. Like... You are a very smart kid. What do you want to do? And I think at the time, I wanted to be a chippy. I was like, I want to be a chippy or a sparky. He's like, great, go and do it. Yeah. Like, you could be earning you know, money right now while all these other kids go to uni and all this sort of stuff. So I left. I left school. My parents were like, oh, he said what? And then when we had you, a meeting. When, uh, when I was in year 11, finished year 11. Yeah. So I left and then a whole, whole bunch of shit hit the fan. <laughs> I didn't get the job. <laughs> I got a different job, very different job. Um, you know, but he sat down with my parents and he said, look, you know, Cam doesn't need to be at school for these reasons. It would be great if he could stick around and finish, but not only will he be a distraction for all these other kids that do want to be here, his heart isn't, 
his heart isn't in it. And having that, having someone that age resonate with me and, and acknowledge that um, I didn't want to be there, not because I was being a piece of shit, but just because I wanted more for myself, yeah. made me realize, okay, like, you know, maybe parents and oldies aren't just trying to be assholes all the time. Yeah. And then, you know, it took <laughs> my parents... They genuinely want what's best. Yeah, and then it took my parents a little while to acknowledge. It took them a few years, actually. It took me um, making quite a few mistakes to um, to acknowledge that leaving school was a good idea. And then, you know, I turned, like, I think 20, and I got my um, I got my job, and then I was working with Peely. So this was, like, you know, when I was starting to come out of this really bad um, sort of phase, and I'd, I'd been through the, a bit of a mill, and, you know, I'd had Crohn's, and the Crohn's had sort of... Um, knocked me around and give me some really fresh perspective and then I met Peely and he was my manager at um, Good Guys Warehouse <laughs> where you know we used to have so much fun but again he's the one that taught me about the serious pants you know we'd have fun and then we put serious pants on when we needed to work and I learned a really strong work ethic from him um, and I also you know it was the first time that I in quotations fell in love uh, and I sat down with with Murray and that was when I met Mark Mark came on as a um as another guy in the warehouse and he was 65 so I had Peely who was like 30 33 yep. married was um, trying to have kids trying to get into the um, trying to get into the metro fireys and then Mark who had just come from Blue Scope been made redundant and was like man I still want to work so I'm just going to go get a shit job at, at warehouse and I was so grateful that he did because you know I fell in love with this girl who was you know six years older than me and we had a little fling for a while and Peely said, you know, just be careful, man, because, you know, girls can girls can take a part of you and they can keep it for themselves, but they can't always give it back. And I was like, okay, that made no sense. You know, he was like really mysterious. And Mark <laughs> just goes, well, yeah, but guys can do that too. So make sure that you don't do exactly what Peely just said about her. And then, you know, we had like a couple of scares and, and you know, a whole thing that um, I won't get into. Um, but... Then it all came crashing down and, you know, Peely stepped up and he was a great guy. He's like, take a week off and Mark, you know, we, we'd just get coffee and have a chat about all these things. And, you know, this 20-year-old guy was relating with a 33-year-old and a 65-year-old in ways I'd never had before. And I've always just managed to find myself in, I guess, the right place at the right time with the right people. And then when Greg appeared, you know, this was when I was having those, um, like those headbutts with you and Bitey. And then... Um, you guys said, I don't know if I've ever told, have I told, oh, I haven't told you this story, but I'm going to tell everyone the story. So like, you know, um, me and Bailey had, had already been all over Greg's stuff. We we're like, oh man, I love yeah. Greg Day. I'm frothing Greg Day. <clears throat> and then you guys like, we're going to get a physio. And he was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't want a physio. Like we've got Jan around the corner. She's great. Let's yeah. keep going to Jan. And I was like, let's get Jan in here. It's like, no, nah, she's got commitments. Don't want a physio. I'm off him. And then um, I walked, I, I literally got here one day and I was like, there's this pristine black beamer sitting yeah. there I'm like who's this like oh Jesus yeah. and I walked in and I literally walked in the door looked upstairs silver fox there he is I was like that's fucking great day <laughs> and I walked into the office I was like just be cool just be cool and I, I can't remember if it was Katie that was sitting there she's like I, th I think it was Katie I can't remember she's like someone was like who's that and I was like that's great fucking day and she's like who's that and I was like oh, 
typing on the keyboard. I'm like, look, 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 it's this guy. Me and Bailey have been all over him. Jump on Breaking Muscle and start reading all the yeah, articles. Yeah, I was like, look at these articles, they're really good. That we'd read the last, um, the week before. Yeah, my memory was so bad. I can't remember if it was Katie. I'm sure it was Katie. Katie will tell me if it wasn't. I was like, oh man, it's, it's Greg Day. And I was like, they can't let him leave without, like, <laughs> without just getting him in here. And then he like, I was like trying to be cool in the office. I'm like, oh, he's going to come in. Just be cool, man. Just be cool. And he walked straight past the office and he was coming like, come back. And then the, like, you and Barty walked in. I was like, oh, um, Greg, what's up with him? And Jesse's like, oh, you know, Greg. Oh, you know Greg, do you? I was like, do I know Greg? Like, and I like marched over the computer. I'm like, these are the articles I told you to read the other week. He's like, oh, that's that guy. I'm like, oh, I'll throttle you. And I was like, please tell me he's coming back. Like, oh, yeah, he's, he's a maybe. It's like, he's a maybe. No, I don't want a maybe. It was a, it was a yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. I was so excited. And then, um, yeah, and then I found out he was a solid yes. So I was really excited to work with someone like, like Greg's caliber. And then um, when we got chatting, I was, I was so nervous. I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. And, and it was Bailey, actually, that, that um, made the connection between, you know, like the, uh, I guess, the inner kid that Greg is yeah. and, and the connection with me because Bailey comes downstairs and we were shooting poops and, and um, Bailey goes, hey, Greg, Cam plays Battlefield on Xbox too. And I was like, what? Like, excuse you? And, and Greg goes, oh, add me. And just pulls his phone out. And just like yeah. opens the app and says, oh, add me. I was like, all right. And then, you know, I went home that night and there he is online. He invites me into a little group chat. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, yeah. do I, like, you know, what do I do? I've got to be really do professional. Do I send him my resume? Or yeah. I was like, all right, cool. So I like, I put it on like, hey, hey, Greg, how you doing? And he goes... Oh, I can't say the word that he said, but he's like, oh, what's up? Like, he was just a bit of a dickhead. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. We're going to get along really well. And then from then on, it's been a really good relationship that we've had. Yeah. And then coming back to that original question, when I was having those sort of, you know, headbutts with you guys, Greg was the one that just sort of said, hey, you've just got to, you've got to let people make their mistakes and they will, if they need you, they will come to you and they will say, I need some help. And if they don't, that's totally fine. But you have to be the guy that is still there to help right the ship even if they don't see it you just got to choose to do it and then if they don't acknowledge it you just keep choosing to do it choosing to do it I was like that's such a good point of view like that's you know exactly the way I was kind of brought up but I just forgot it and you know I was having some having my existential coaching crisis where I'm like I'm not a good coach and oh my god I'm not a good person and I was having all these problems and um you know Greg was uh telling me all these stories about you know when he was younger and he was having um you know like all these coaching um, failures and issues. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting that someone of your like caliber has these yeah. things to draw upon. And then it made me realize, like, of course he does because yeah. he's a human. That's how you get to that he's point. He's so fallible. Yeah, and then, and I was like, coming back to my fuck up framework, I'm like, that Greg is this framework. He's he's experienced so much because he's not afraid to make mistakes. And you just have to acknowledge that you're still here and you're still making your way through it all. And you know, people were getting opportunities, and I was like. Whoa, coaching you and I was like no slap yourself on the wrist yeah. like, that's not how you look at it you know they've got so many better qualities that you might not see you're just comparing yourself and then yeah you know Greg took me under his wing thankfully and um, taught me a lot about uh, movement and and strength and the, and the, the bonds between it that I'd already um, like loved the idea of but he just solidified those and filled in the gaps and before I knew it I was like shit simplified the complex yeah, yeah like, I was yeah. like shit man like I've been trying to articulate these things for almost like a year and a half yeah. and you come in and you say like two sentences to sum up my last year and a half of trying to butt yeah. my head against the wall he's like you know he just like does that shrug and just goes <laughs> you know good and I was like oh good walks away with a head wobble yeah the it's biggest the, head wobble yeah. <laughs> but he is yeah he's a 
he's again one of those mentors that's just stepped in at the right time right place and his ability to simplify things has really rubbed off on me and if I'm able to get my message across to more people in a simpler way so that more people understand it I'm going to be a better person a better coach for it yeah and yeah I'm, I'm so grateful for everyone around me but particularly Greg and also to Mark and Peely who have, who have been you know, massive in my life as well but yeah Greg's one of those um, very few sort of older mentors that have been able to step in at various times in my life and go you know here's a little pat on the bum and a push and off you go yeah he's a ledge what advice would you have for young performance coaches oh man listen to the last how long have we been going for listen to the last however yeah, long it's exactly, been exactly and this is the advice I'm giving you yeah get find, a mentor find, mentors yeah man just get 50 of them like yeah. you know learn learn everything even if it's got nothing to do with um, coaching yeah Read everything, even if it's got nothing to do with strength and conditioning or if it's got nothing to do with energy systems. It's got yeah. like just expose yourself to different material because it will teach you to speak different languages. Fuck up a hundred times, beat yourself up, break your bones, break hearts, fucking stub your toe. I don't care. You've just got to, you've got to make, you've got to make opportunities for yourself to grow. And if you don't grow, you get stagnant, and then you die. As a coach, not as a person. Yeah. Well, probably as a person too. I guess that's adaptation. Eventually that happens. One. Yeah, <laughs> but you will. Like that's, that's why the majority of coaches don't survive is because they don't evolve, they don't adapt, they don't grow, they don't learn to speak different languages and they don't learn to, you know, be in environments that make them, um, that make them better. They're afraid of being uncomfortable. I love being uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not even uncomfortable in uncomfortable situations anymore. Unless it's public speaking. Like sometimes my old anxiety will creep in. But... You know, I've got my other ways of dealing with that and it works really well. Good. What advice do you have for more experienced coaches? And it can be the same answer. Oh, look, for Greg, it'd be... Um, <laughs> he just needs to be a better teammate on Battlefield. He's just really... He likes to... Selfish? Yeah, but it's not even that. I mean, I, if I had a dollar for every sentence that started with, I'm single-handedly, <laughs> I would be a very... I'd be able to afford a BMW right now. <laughs> um, for, older coach, uh, for older coaches and clinicians, my advice would be have some patience. Um, definitely have patience because there's a lot of... There's a lot of talent that, that's around and it just needs to be fostered. Yeah. Um, and again, it comes back to acknowledging that some people just don't know as much as you and some people will be um, defensive because they don't know as much as you. You just have to be very patient with those, um, with those environments so that you're not threatening them and making them feel like they have to retreat into a shell or repressing them and making them feel like they can't express themselves. Um, so we've got you know, plenty of uh, amazing clinicians and coaches around us that are really good at, at helping us express us like uh, you know Mark Simpson at Pace was in the other day and we had a really good chat yeah um, where we bridged the gap between clinical and coach and the whole time like we were just backwards and forwards in I think Mitch was like it was like a game of Wimbledon for Mitch he was just like head back and forwards and I was like yeah it's a really cool concept and then you know we 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 gelled on some really cool things in terms of um like strength and then he brought them back to rehabilitation and, and his um, exercise prescription I was like yeah totally man that's awesome and we wrote some stuff and then I beat him in vertisball so <laughs> <laughs> yeah shout out um, yeah definitely have that patience don't be repressive and don't be um, don't be impatient good massively how do you see your job description changing over the next three, four, five years 
I think I'll, I'll be a coach forever. It may not necessarily be in strength and conditioning. It may not necessarily be in rehabilitation or in teaching, but I'll always be a coach because the skills that I've learned have always will always be with me. So I'll always have the ability to you know speak the languages that I've learned and, and impart the lessons that I've learned on someone. Um, honestly, I can like I'd be honoured to be someone's thirty three, forty five, sixty five year old mentor one day and, yeah. and to help them through you know a, a troubling time where they get their heart broken for the first time or they you know quit their job and dive into a completely different industry or um, they're having their existential crisis in this industry and they just need that little kick up the ass yeah um, yeah that'd be that'd be something that I'd be that I'd be humbled and honored to do but it's not something that I'm looking for so I guess my job description won't change it'll just be the environments that I subject myself to that will change. Cool. Um, and if I'm not coaching someone, I'll be coaching myself. Good answer. What is your favourite thing about the industry mm-hmm. and what would you change if you could? My favourite thing about the industry is definitely the relationships we get to make um, with clients, coaches, um, other people in other professions and even if you don't gel with them, I think it's really cool if you've got the right mindset, it's really cool taking a step back and going, wow, that person was an asshole. Wait, <laughs> no, they weren't an asshole. They were just coming at it from a different perspective. Yeah, a different point of view. Yeah, whereas too many people just go, oh man, that person was an asshole. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm an asshole to a lot of people, but that's fine. Um, it, it means that I need to work on some stuff and they need to work on some stuff and we need to bridge some gaps and we need to find some things to relate on so that we can be cohesive and at least work together so that we can all go forward. Yeah. Because the last thing I want to do is be an arsehole, step on someone's toes and leave them behind. Because I would hate that. I would hate for that to happen to me. Um, but if I can still teach someone something, even though they, they don't quite get along with me, you know, we, I'm not going to be best friends with everyone. I'm not going to get a beer with everyone. But if I can, if I can at least impart something that's going to change the way they think or the way they move or the way they look at life, then I'm bringing them with me. Yeah. Uh, that's the really special thing about this industry is having that opportunity to develop those relationships. If I could change one thing about the, the industry, it would just be to have it more regulated. Like, I know it's, I know it's beating our head against the wall, but... How do we do that? <laughs> well, the yeah, there's, there's so many ways, you know, but I just think having it... Again, it comes back to that thing where, um, you know, we see on social media, I'm tagged all the time in videos of, of, of poorly executed exercising or um, maybe not, not adequate coaching. And people are always like, you know, lol... Um, have you ever seen this cam? Like, yeah, I have, unfortunately, in a yeah. lot of places. I am the person, and people don't like me for it, but that's fine. I am the person that steps up and says, that's not right, we need to change that. And it steps on a lot of toes, and that's okay, but it comes back to, I'm not someone that gets stuck in indifference, and I don't get bogged down in inaction. And if I see something that's wrong, and I step up and say something, Everyone will always have something to say until I turn around and I make it for the betterment of you. Um, and that's how, I've, that's how I've always been. I've always just had that. Um, it's not courage. I think it's false courage. Like, I think it's falsely um, acknowledged as courage. It's just my, I just don't like seeing shit go on that affects other people when there's no care involved. Like I'm always the first person to come off the line and charge at the demons and make sure that 
someone else isn't getting hurt even if I'm throwing my body at it because that way like I know that I can at least handle it a little bit different than someone else who isn't completely prepared for it so when I see these things happening in gyms like you know I don't encourage people to go up and say to coaches you're doing that wrong but I know better therefore I should do better yeah so I, w- I have no problems going up to someone saying mate you need to be really careful with that and I've done it and you know people are always like who the fuck are you I'm, like, I'm nobody but <laughs> yeah. I know better and you should too and if you don't then let's like let me educate you and if it steps on their toes that's totally fine but at least maybe they'll think about it and that's I don't know, that's yeah. my thing. Like, I just don't want to be that person that's like, somebody should do something. Because if, if that was one of my loved ones, I wouldn't be the person sitting there going, somebody should do something. Yeah, you'd be the person and, doing something. Correct, and I challenge anyone to disagree with that. Like, if that's one of your loved ones, you wouldn't be sitting there going, someone should do something. You'd be sitting there going, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, well, so if everyone followed rule five, then. Rule five, put your ego on. Why don't we, why don't we have that attitude with everyone? Because everyone here at Virtus is my loved one. Like, I fucking love you all. And I'm, I'm not going to sit by and just let some turkey like, treat you like a piece of shit that's yeah. just, you know, it's just not right. That's not how we should live. Good. Stuff them. <laughs> Table flip. <laughs> tell, us about, tell us about Crohn's, about when you were diagnosed, the, the whirlwind journey that has taken you on yeah. in the last, okay. how long has it been? Six years, seven years? No, years? no, no. It's Longer? been about 10 years now. 10? Yeah, 10 years. Crohn's. So when I was in school, I used to be um, a bit of a bean pole. And then I hit my stride when I was about 16, 17, started to fill out, got the facial hair, went from the ugly duckling to the, you know... Moderately ugly duckling. Moderately ugly duckling. Like, I had my, had my big growth spurt, my shoulders came out, I was like, yay, I'm turning into an adult. And then 18, um, transitioning from 18 to 19, I was at my fittest, I was at my strongest, and then it all just got robbed. Um, I think I went from about... So I'm sitting at 90 kilos currently, uh, and I went from about, I think I was about 85 kilos lean, so I was pretty strong, and I was a little bit shorter now So then, so I was about 6 foot 2, so if you can imagine that, shorter, thicker, bearded human, and then I just got absolutely caned by this thing that no one could diagnose, and that went on for about 8 months, I lost 20 kilos in two months I went down from 85 to 65 kilos I was just skin and bone yeah I was skin and bone Um, still had all my hair but it was like um, it was like tissue paper like you could it was crumbling in my hand man I don't know what's going on and uh, yeah I went from doctor to doctor to doctor and it was just unfortunate that at the time my family GP who I'd been seeing since I was like two was on long service leave so he was away yeah um I think for like three months. So this went on for about six to eight months. And then he finally came back and I went from so many specialists. We got blood tests done. I think I had, I don't know, maybe like, it would have been at least 20 different doctors I'd seen. And then um, my doctor came back, David Fairweather, another shout out. And he sat down in front of me. He hadn't seen me, mind you, for like, you know, two years because I hadn't had a health issue. And then he sits down in front of me and mum goes, I don't know what's wrong. And she was like at her wit's end because she was so worried. Um, like she was losing weight and, and dad was stressing out. And I had no energy and I had, <laughs> I had no body mass. And he looks at me and he goes, has he had blood tests? She goes, and mum goes, he's had so many blood tests. And I was like whimpering. I just didn't want to get pin, pin, um, pinpricked again. And then um, he goes, has he had any here? And she goes, yeah, he's had three or four. He goes, cool. So I pulled up the file. 
And I don't know what he looked at. He just like looked at three or four of them and he goes, has he been tested for Crohn's disease? And mum goes, what's that? And David goes, all right, I need you to go into hospital. So I went to hospital. Um, eight hours later, David comes to the hospital. <laughs> he goes, he's got Crohn's disease. Like, you know, he's not even at work anymore. Yeah. He's like, he's got Crohn's. Mum's like, oh no, my brother's got Crohn's. And he goes, that was my next question. Has anyone in your family got it? So yeah. it skips generations. Um, sometimes it even skips family members and I'm the unlucky slash lucky one to get it. So it means I've got it. So it means that my sister has a very reduced likelihood of getting it. Uh, it also means that my kids and her kids have a very reduced likelihood of getting it. But Good. if anyone's going to get it, it'll be probably Crystal's kids, um, which is sucky. So the the trade-off of my sister and, and any of my cousins not having it is that I've got it, which is good. Um, so once we got diagnosed, it was off to see another specialist named Michael Merritt, who I've been seeing since I was like, yeah, 19, 20. I think we're coming up onto nine years now. And yep. he was really great. He, straight shooter, he just said, this is what you need. If you don't get it, you're going to die. And it's going to be very, very ugly. I was like, okay, cool, let's do that. Mum was wailing. I'm like, it's cool, mum. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Let's just knock it on the head. So he started me on this like myriad of cocktails that was like acid in yeah. fucking veins it sucked um, I'm getting emotional and yeah and I had no muscle mass either so I had to get these different injections in different sites in my body um, have you ever had like a needle in your leg before like in your quad I don't think so no so that kills and because I had no muscle mass it was like hitting my femur so they'd go in and like, you know, they're just used to injecting someone and, and then they'd go in and they'd hit the bone and I'd be like, man, that kills. So then I, I met this specialist nurse, Judy Hooper, who um, she's, a, she's a beautiful, beautiful human and she's still, she's still my specialist nurse. Um, she, she took my case over personally. She handled all my injections because she was the only one that could do it without inducing like blackouts amount of pain. Um, so I went through that for about two years. My weight slowly came back and I got to about 75 kilos, which was pretty, which was big for me. Um, oh, a big win, not big size, but a big win for me. Yeah. Um, and that was when I was about 21. And there's photos of me in my 21st. I'm in a, uh, I'm in a white top. And, you know, I've got this like sort of scraggly facial hair and this scraggly mane of hair. And I'm in this white top that's a large and it's swimming on me. And like, I've still got that top and I've put it on in recent times for like weddings and stuff. And like, I fill it out beautifully now. I'm like, man, I see that picture. I'm like, man, I'm so skinny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was about 21, 22. And I started to, um, I guess, find my feet a little bit with it. Medications got changed in and out. Um, the, the public, I can't remember what the name of it is, the PBS where the government funds medications. It was like a battle for ages to get onto this really good um, drug that helped block the specific cell, the specific um, immune cell that my body rejects. And everything else was kind of like suppressing the cells around it. And, and you know, Merritt, Michael Merritt was beating his head against the wall. like, we need this drug. This is the drug that will fix it. and Well, not fix it, but like suppress it. And they're not letting you have it. It's like eight grand a pop. And, I was like, and my parents were sitting there like, maybe we should just do it. And, you know, we can finance the house all this stuff and I was like I was adamant I'm like I'm not letting you do that because I'm fine like we can keep making this work I was taking like 30 pills a day it was brutal and then um we finally had this win where uh 
the government just turned around and said, yep, cool, this is on the PBS. And I was in three days later, they juiced me up and I walked out of there and I've, I've never felt so good, like immediately, like this is an immediate reaction. And um, <clears throat> yeah, ever since then I've, I've had that every eight weeks. Um, it just gets in and it blocks a specific um, immune receptor. And what happens is my body gets a little bit inflamed through my gastrointestinal tract. And that immune response is to attack the inflammation and just bombard it with these immune cells to reduce the inflammation. But what they're actually doing is building more inflammation. Um, so my body sees that there's more inflammation and sends more of these cells and it's just a vicious cycle. So this drug suppresses that, but unfortunately that also suppresses my ability to, um, like if I have a cut, it's those same cells that come and they clot the blood or yeah. it's those same cells that come and they create more, more tissue. So it slows down that process. So I've got like scars all over me from like when I was kickboxing and when I was like, you know, I, I took a bit of chunk off my leg when I was um, cleaning the other week and now I've got a scar on my leg. I'm like, man, that's so annoying. Um, and it also blocks my immune system's response to my anti-immunitary system, which for all you science aficionados is your hair, skin and nails. Luckily, my skin and my nails are okay, but my hair fell out, which was really cool. And that started happening when I was about 23, when I was um, with my then-girlfriend, Alicia, who was really good at helping me um, come to terms with the fact that, you know, yes, I was skinny and yes, I was sick, but there was a lot more to people than like then their illness or their disease and she taught me to be more than just my disease and that was a really really important lesson for me so yeah we we sort of got through the next few years as a as a pretty tight-knit family and um a lot of bridges got burned because so many people didn't understand it you know people just thought I was lazy when I couldn't get out of bed which was just hard for mum and dad because mum and dad came at it from a very protective parent way like you know they were sort of yep. like fuck you instead of a well let me tell you more about it yeah and, you know, for years I was saying to them, like, I don't need a sword, I need a shield. Uh, so I don't need a shield, I need a sword. Like, I don't need you to protect me. I need you to cut all this shit away so that they can see what's happening. And then, um, you know, flash forward to today. Ugh, it's just Ryan. Flash forward to today and we're, we're more educated and we're doing that sort of stuff. Hello, Jess. What's up? Hi. Ugh. Are you guys still recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to did you hear that? I won't interrupt, yeah. but she's interrupted. She's interrupted. Get the hell out. No way, darling. If, if you could, I guess, educate the wider community really quickly on what Crohn's is and, and the effect it has, mm -hmm. how, would you, how would you go about doing that? Um, so in the simplest way, it's like when I'm at my best, it's a dull throbbing ache in my gut. And when I'm at my worst, I've, it's been... It's been um, what's the word, compared to terrible menstrual cramps, like from women that have Crohn's, they say that it's worse than their worst menstrual cramps. I've met girls with endometriosis that say it's worse than their, when they've had endometriosis. Like, I don't know because I haven't got that point of reference, but I know that it's crippling yeah. and it puts me in the fetal position and I just have to like hug a heat pack and wait it out. Yeah, listen to some tunes and just wait it out and it's really, really hard. So it's one of those things that can be um, debilitating if you let it and even more so if you fight it so for me I just I accept when I'm at my flattest so 
you know, roughly, you know, that seven to eight week mark, I start to lose a bit of energy. And if my food hasn't been great, then that's when I start to get a bit beaten up. Um, if I'm stressed, it'll uh, induce a lot of that um, inflammation in my gut, and then bang, it hits you like a truck. When I'm at my when I'm at my best, no, it's manageable. I just yeah, um, take a pill and suppresses the the nonsense, and then I get moving, and I'm happy days. Uh, yeah. So you just got to listen to your body and let and let your let your training and food intake and hydration and everything, all the extra curricular things you do, you've just got to let that adapt to how yeah, you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's for me, it's just a matter of trial and error. And if I get anything wrong, um, you probably know about my it. My body <laughs> knows, it tells me. And <laughs> $2 KFC sliders. And um, <laughs> so worth it. Yeah, if I get anything wrong, my body tells me and I'm just super adaptive and I've had to be. And that's part of the reason why I am much more adaptive these days is because I've had to. If I wasn't, then I'd induce a lot of pain and suffering, and it would suck. What is what is your Crohn's taught you about about the little wins? Oh, they're so important, and people don't acknowledge them because they don't know better, and that's fair enough. Again, I am patient enough to acknowledge that people can't have that perspective. But for me, like when I picked up two hundred, that's why I wanted to cry. Like for me, picking up two hundred kilos was a pipe dream. When you know, I'd only been lifting for about four years and I can remember a time where I was in a bed weighing 65 kilos wet struggling against you know feebly against these slender women holding me down while they just put a needle in me like I I wanted to push them off and fight them and I physically couldn't because I was that weak and these girls you know I could blow them over with a breath of air now but they were holding me down. I was so weak. Um, and then watching my mum in the corner, you know, just like not being able to watch. So hitting that 200 was amazing. For me, that's not a little win. That was a big win. Yeah. And it was a culmination of, Lots you know, of dozens of little wins, like four years worth of little wins. And having someone like, um, well, having people like Jamie and Charlie in my corner to, to help me get there. And when we did it that day, I had um, Jared and Trent and Johnny Bravo. They were all there. And when I got it up, you know, hit the ground I was like fucking cooked but they all came over and they slapped me on the back slapped me in the hand they're like that was so sick I'm like yeah. man I'm cooked like I'm dead don't talk to me and I just got lost in my head and I just remembered every single tough session that I didn't want to do every single um, I guess like infusion that I just managed to scrape through every single needle that had ever pierced me and I thought yeah that was, that was worth it and that changed my mindset again to a it's all worth it. Like, you know, I didn't know that until I hit that and now I know better. So now I put myself through a volume program that, you know, I don't want to particularly do. I, I get up at five in the morning. I don't particularly want to do it. But, you know, these are the little wins that we have. You don't have to let everyone see the little wins, but they still happen. They still add up. And then when you hit those 1% um, and you do it 100 times, you've just made yourself, you know, 100% better. It's so true. And eventually you buy a Beamer. Man, and then, and then you work as a team. As a team, Greg, at Battlefield, as a team. <laughs> Shout out to the rest of the team. <laughs> Talk to me about your decorated fighting career. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> Three minutes. 40 minutes? Three minutes. Okay, I was pretty good. Um, it started when I was 18. And, you know, I left school. started when I was 17, got a fake ID, left school, went to the pub, got drunk, started just getting into fights. Like an absolute larrikin um 
And then one day I got my ass kicked and it really gave me a sharp perspective. I was like, great, I'm going to stop being a dick. Then I started Aikido. Aikido for a lot of people is a joke and I can understand why they think that. But for me, it taught me, again, another element of discipline. Shout out to my sensei at the time, Joe Tambu, uh, Martin Rice, who was another guy who was really cool, and Rika and Aikiko, they were really cool people. And they taught me to put my ego on the hook, which was so important for me at the time. Because, you know, I came in and I was getting pounded by these tiny little girls and guys who were just so good at manipulating the little 1% around my body. And I was like, this shouldn't be happening. How dare you? And then, yeah, um, I got an opportunity to go and do a little bit of fighting and I was horrible at it. <laughs> I got beaten up. If you want to hear the story of my first fight, it takes about 40 minutes <laughs> to tell you a three second thing where yeah, I just got, I got, got knocked, knocked, the, got knocked out. I got knocked the shit out. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I got knocked out, but I don't even remember being hit 18 times apparently. Um, yeah, so that was really fun and... Again, that taught me a, a, a ton of stuff as well. It taught me that my body can endure a shit ton of stuff. So this was, this was post Crohn's, and this is when I was back up, coming back up on top. It was about 21, 22, it would have been 23. So I was with Alicia. Um, yeah, it taught me that my body can endure a shit ton of pain. And it also taught me to switch off a bit of pain. So when I'm having those days where I'm feeling, you know, that, that gut ache, I can suppress it a little bit. I don't ignore it because I... I want to acknowledge that it's there to make sure I'm not beating myself up, but I can suppress it enough that I can come in and, you know, I'm, I might be a bit grumpy and I might be a bit short with people, but um, I still am functional. Like, I can still come in and participate and do my job and pro- provide that empathy and that environment of energy for those, for those people that come and see me. And then I go home and jump in the hot shower and I'm just like, ah, kill me. Yeah. So, yeah, it taught me, it taught me a little bit. Um, it taught me a lot. But I, for any money in the world, I would love to go back and just study Aikido. Not even just because it's a fighting, it's not a fighting martial art, but just because it's so beautiful. It's just, it's just beautiful to watch um, two people move with each other. And it does teach you, you know, elements of self-defense, but it's more just about having the, the energy flow between two people. It's like a dance. Um, it's really graceful. And I recommend that to anyone over kickboxing because kickboxing hurts <laughs> really bad um, although I never got kicked in the face which was great I only got punched because <laughs> no one could kick that eye because <laughs> the little Japanese guys couldn't kick that eye I'm like yes not that, not that mattered in the cocky end. cam well yeah it didn't you know, I came in thinking I got them and then they, they'd find ways to put me down good it was very good <laughs> you've Tell- never known pain until you've been kicked in the quad like eight times though that far out that drills you sit there and you're like, I got this. And then your quad stops doing what quads do. And you're like, oh, it's not working stand up anymore. It's not working anymore. <laughs> yeah, and then they come in and they punch you on the beak and you're like, oh, night time. <laughs> Sleepy time. Tell me something not many people know about you. Not many people know about me. Well, not many people know that I love acting. And I'm a massive fan of acting. I love theatre. And I... What's I was, was going to ask that question. Oh, That's a separate yeah. question, but I, I arrowed it to this. You're ex- good. Thinking that would be your answer. You're good. good. Carry on. You're good. Musical theatre. Yeah, musical theatre. I, uh, I love it. I, when I was in school, I got introduced to it. Actually, I didn't even get introduced to it. I'll tell you exactly why I started doing it in school. You're 11. Chicks. It, no, it was a goof-off subject. I was like, oh, man. 
what's the class that I can do that has the least amount of work involved? It's either cooking or it's drama. And I was like, you know what? Cooking, I still have to do something, plus I gotta do dishes. Stuff that, I can do drama. <laughs> and I did it. Anyway, um, this was during that period where I, you know, I was coming out a little bit more with my body, like I was feeling myself out a little bit more and I was getting a bit bigger, but I was getting like constantly bullied by like this group of guys um, and girls, but for specifically for the person people that I hung around with. I'm not going to call them out, but there was a group of people that I hung I'd hung out with, and there was one or two of them that used to get bullied incessantly. And I would go into bat every single recess and lunch, and I would have you know words to the point where we nearly would just kill each other. Um, so I was just getting so much grief. And, you know, I'd go home every night and mum and dad would say how was school and I'd say it was shit and I hated it. Um, it taught me, well, it didn't teach me, but it made me very, you know, defensive, uh, very short with my parents. You know, I didn't want to tell my parents I was getting bullied for reasons that were out of my control. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want someone to turn around and say, well, just stop being friends with that person because that was what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. And then, you know, dad one day just said, well, fucking hit the mom with the loudest mouth. So I did. And then I got my ass kicked. <laughs> but, you know, that made things really challenging for me in school. Um, the way that I learned to get around that, this was before year 11, was to just be the funny guy, to be the guy that would make people laugh and disarm situations so that uh, people wouldn't necessarily be looking at Cam, they would be looking at something that they liked better than Cam. So I would learn to put on all these masks. And I didn't realise how important that would become as a as a developmental tool, but at the time it was just a survival tool. Um, so, you know, I'll come back to this in a second, but at the time, um, my masks were wearing me. So I wasn't, I wasn't Cam and I didn't know who Cam was. I had no identity for myself. Um, and, you know, I'd go home and my parents would say, how was school? And I'd say, nah, it was okay. And I'd go to my room, you know, and I'd just get lost in just this deep pit of anxiety about having to go to school the next day. And then, yeah. When you don't do anything about that, anxiety manifests into depression. And then when you don't do anything about that, sometimes it can have really tragic consequences. But for me, luckily, I actually found drama. And it, it did start off as a goof-off subject. And then I met uh, my teacher, who was uh, Michelle Zinchenko. She was a really cool lady. Uh, and there was also Emma Sproul at the time as well, who was there doing some theatre. Uh, my friend Braden was uh, big into the scene. And he's like, you should come and do an audition. And, you know, Cam at the time was like, that sounds so gay, dude. And, you know, and I apologise for, like, that, that homophobic sort of stuff. But that's how it was in school. I was like, that sounds gay and I'm not going to do that. But that was me being defensive. Yeah. Um, because that's how I used to get treated. You know, like, why do you hang out with these people? Are you a fucking faggot and all that stuff? And I was like, no, you know, I'm just hanging out with them because they're cool people and they're not pieces of shit. So anyway, Braden wrangled me into it because I can't remember how. Man, my memory's shit. I can't remember how, but he definitely wrangled me into it. He's like, you should come down. And little did I know that I'd already had the part. It was just, he wanted me to come down and just audition. So I auditioned, jumped up on stage, um, read a line or two for, for the uh, director in front of like 50 people. It was the most nerve wracking thing I've ever done. And then I did it and everyone applauded. And then a few people like, you know, whooped. And I was like, it wasn't that good. Like I just read a thing and the director goes, that was actually really good. Like, I'm really happy with that. Do you want the part? I was like, okay, sure. So I took the part. And it was only a small part, I think only about 12 lines, but um, I learned them as soon as I got my script, like I had them nailed down. And then I learned everyone else's lines around me 
in those little areas because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't letting anyone down. And I found myself becoming like a little pseudo director on stage when someone would say, what's the line? I'd be like, it's this. And you know, I'd, I'd be like feeding people lines. And then if someone was mucking up on stage, I'd be like picking scenes up. I'm like, man, this is so fun. Like, you know, I feel like I, feel like I have a, an important place in these scenes, not just as an actor, but also as a, as a character. So I was putting on all these really fun masks, uh, really fun costumes. I was getting over my stage fright or my, my fear of public speaking because it, it wasn't cam. It was, you know, um, I think in my first play, I was this cop. You know, I had this really shitty... No, I wasn't a cop. Oh, my God. I was a cop, but I was a stripper. I was a stripper cop. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had this... Shit. I had this, um, like, you know, English policeman's uniform on. And I think the whole joke was that there were two cops there investigating a problem. And then there, and every time they'd leave the scene, I'd come in with my manager who was there and I was there to like entertain a hen's night and <laughs> and like one thing led to another and I became like this cop that everyone was looking to like oh my god there's a problem officer and I was like you goddamn right there is and like you know I'd be like taking my buttons off and then people weren't watching they were too busy talking to each other explaining things about the scene in like grisly detail and I'd be like taking my buttons like this is weird but all right I'll, I'll go with it yeah <laughs> like it was so fun and um yeah, like people were laughing. I'm like, man, this is so much fun. I'm having, I'm having fun entertaining people. And it's not Cam. They don't get to judge Cam. They get to judge the, the person that they think is Cam. Yeah. And then little did I know that I was getting, um, like there were critics coming out and watching shows and they were like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and Cam was really good. I'm like, great. So people are judging me. Like that's so much pressure. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Year 11 comes around. Let's do drama. It's a bit of a goof off. And in the first lesson we learned about breathing <laughs> I was such a smart ass and she's like we're going to talk about breathing and I was like you probably give me an A she goes what do you mean and I was like I do it in my sleep like I'm pretty good <laughs> and and she laughed and she laughed in a way that it was just she has the most beautiful laugh and she laughed and she goes um, we're going to have a lot of fun and I was like alright whatever and we did we had so much fun I actually met Alicia um, in this drama class like I knew I knew her at school she was one of the popular girls in quotes but she did this drama class because again, she wanted to goof off. And uh, yeah, we always like ended up sitting next to each other and chatting. So that's how we actually met, which is pretty cute. Super cute. Yeah, and then we did like a show, to, like a little show in class together. That was the first time we actually had like a chance to sit and talk. And I remember saying like three words to her and she just did all the talking. And I was like, she's just, she just won't shut up. Like, why won't you shut up? And then when we started dating, she's like, do you remember this time when we were talking? I was like, yeah, I do. And I just wanted to shut the friggin' hell up. because like, man, I hate this chick. <laughs> Savage. Anyway, drama, fun. Ended up picking up a couple of shows in year 11. Um, and they were my escape from all the bullshit that was happening at school because I friggin' hated school. Just getting bullied, really bad grades. The teachers hated me uh, because I was trying to be the funny guy all the time to yeah. just keep the spotlight away from me. And then... I did a couple of shows, won a couple of awards. People were really happy. And then, yeah, left school, um, left the area, and then had a, you know, a year where I did some stuff. I did a little bit of um, naughty stuff and felt the cold steel of handcuffs. Mum, turn off the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then I came back, and then the Crohn's thing happened, and when I was maybe 22 or 3, I had my, had my next show, which was really fun. And then I got the buggy again, 25, did another show. Um, I think 25 I did, 24 I did Mousetrap. So I was lucky enough to do Agatha Christie's 
60th anniversary show for that mousetrap, which was a really big deal awesome. um, on the peninsula. I was really happy uh, and we killed it. And then so much so that the people that did it professionally, like they actually had a professional run for the 60th anniversary. Um, it was being compared to the local performance that we did. And I was like, yes, I'm so happy. That's cool. Yeah. And during that show, actually, I met another mentor of mine, Anthony, um, who owned and operated Men's Health and Fitness. And it was through Anthony that I actually started coaching. coaching. Yeah. yeah. So that's how, I, that's how I met Ant. That's cool. Um, and we resonated really fast too. Like just two guys just wanting to be really good actors. And then after that, when I was 26, I did another one in Rosebud. Rosebud, yeah, I did Sherlock Holmes, which was really fun. And I've been asked maybe five or six times since then to do more shows. And I'm like, man, I'd love to, but I haven't got the time to commit to them. Like, I love acting, but it's such a big commitment. You've got to, you know, there's maybe six hours a week of auditioning. Oh, sorry, six of auditioning. Six hours a week of um, rehearsal. And then you've got show week. But outside of those six hours, just like with coaching, you don't just coach for six hours. Yeah. You've got programming. You've got, like, you've got to study the scenes. You've got to talk to the yeah. other actors. You've got yeah. to make sure that everyone's on, on par with this and you've got to talk to it. It's just a nightmare. So as much as I love it, I really want to cement myself with what I'm doing here and then maybe pick up a little show. But yeah, I love it. I freaking love it. And then going back to what I said before where my masks were wearing me, now I'm at a stage now where you know I'm, I'm confident with it all and I love it so much that... I, I wear my masks instead of my masks wearing me. So, you know, if, if I want to bring some positivity into the environment, I know exactly how to do that. And if I want to make someone laugh, I know exactly how to do that. I can, I can disarm people in different situations so that they feel more comfortable um, and less, uh, less threatened in an environment where we're all in. So, yeah, that's, that's what musical theatre taught me. Good. Yeah, I love it. I just hate singing on stage. Uh, like I'll sing like an idiot at the top of my voice. In here, yeah. And I'll we yeah, notice. and I'll nail Celine Dion notes, man. I'll kill him. And then you you put me on stage. It's like no just, one can nail Celine Dion notes. Except me and Celine. Like you can. Yeah. And then you know, like you put me on stage and say, "Just sing this for me." I'm like, "Oh, oh, 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 I gotta go. <laughs> I'm dying." All right, I got a bunch of questions for you. I want short answers. All right, I'll do my best. If anyone's still listening, they've got a couple minutes to go. How long has this been going for? I have no idea. Uh, I don't know, it's probably not overly important. Oh, it's not so bad. We can no. just make it two-parter. It could be, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> oh, shit. Right. What is your philosophy? My philosophy? I have a pure heart rule. So do what, do what gives you the least amount of fear. And it's, it's similar to what Greg says, you know, speak your truth and have your standards. Um, you know, I've fallen short of my standards so many times in my life. I've done it this year as well. And, you know, everyone's familiar with that situation. Um, but having that pure heart rule and speaking your truth, having zero expectations from, from the people around you when you do that, I think is really important because you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fuck up, but having a pure heart at least means that you're able to pick yourself back up again, you dust yourself off, track. yeah, and yeah. get better. Um, I'm, I'm ashamed of some of my fuck ups, but I'm also proud that I'm still here. And I'm still... Because it's easy to quit. Yeah. It's easy to turn around and say, no, I'm just going to walk away. You know, but you know, history remembers the cowards. It also remembers the heroes. I, I don't want to be a coward. I don't want to be a hero either. I'd be gay. <laughs> I don't want to be a hero. Um, but, you know, like I just don't want to be... I don't want to be the guy that walks away from all these mistakes and these problems. Just have a pure heart. Speak your truth. Have your standards. Learn from fucking up. Fuck yeah. Good. So many times. 
<coughs> what's the best? It wasn't piece a short answer at all. Of, no, 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 it was short enough. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Fuck up. Good. Murray Peel. Attaboy. Peely. Fuck up. Because I was so nervous about it. This was when I was trying to woo that chick, and he goes, "Just make mistakes, man. She just wants to see that you're human." And he's so right. People will resonate more with someone that's a person. What is success to you? Well, I could almost just steal all of Josh's because we. Can, I can just. All right. No, you can't. But all right. This is a precursor. Success to me. Success to me is being able to do the things that I love with the people that I love for as long as I can, where I'm not making anyone or anything in my environment around me worse for it. Good. So if I'm being brutally honest, it'd just be being and making the environment around me as, as good as it can be, regardless of the people that are there. But if people want to be better themselves, bring in them with me. Good. What do you do for fun? I read. And I play Xbox. Probably more of Xbox, to yeah. be honest. If you could be remembered in one sentence, what would it be? Not an arsehole. That'd be nice. If you could give Teenage Camp one piece of advice, what would it be? <laughs> How old is Teenage Camp? 19. Okay. Um, 19. One piece of advice. I'm just like racking my brain now because I've been given so many pieces of advice. You know, if I... It'd be read more. It would be read more because I didn't used to... I, I, I went through a really cool phase where I read heaps in school and then I left school and I didn't pick up a book again until I was like 21. So I'd just be read more. That's where I, that's where I find my best self develops is just from reading more. Yeah. Mm. Good. What's the nicest thing you've ever done for someone? I saved someone's life once, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah I have no idea who they are uh, but yeah special it was very cool if you could give every human on earth one piece or one personality trait what would it be? kindness just be kind what's your favourite quote? <laughs> this one's for Greg clear eyes pure hearts can't lose favourite movie? point break <laughs> no, okay, no, I said that Good for you. Give I, it to me. I said that for you. Um, my favourite movie fluctuates all the time, but it has to be Magnificent Seven. It is, it is that good. It's, it, it's always in my top five. Favourite sport? There's too many. It's a big one. Come on. Um, favourite sport? My favourite sport? I mean, it's, it's probably just footy. It's so boring to say, but it's so true. I no, love footy. Well. Favorite recording artist? As in, like, musician? Correct. Uh, Miles Kennedy. Good. Favorite resource? Just books. Good. Favorite hobby? Kind of interesting. Yeah, reading, yeah. definitely reading. What's the last book you read start to finish and what did you learn from it? Does this count audiobooks or just yeah. book book? Yeah. Well, no, let's go, let's go book book. Um, the last book I read start to finish would be Joseph Campbell's The Hero Journey. But I've already read it like eight times. But I always learn something new from him. I'm listening anyway. to that audiobook at the moment. How good is that book? He's, I don't know, man. Like, he's four minutes in. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to four minutes of that audiobook. It's really good. Um, yeah, I picked it up again because I recommended it to a friend when we were over in New Zealand with Greg. And I said, you've got you to read this so that 
she's got the best daughters. Like, just keep them doing that forever. Read this. It's such a good book. Um, every single time I read it, it reaffirms my place in the world and it reaffirms my belief that I'm doing the right thing. Even though, you know, every time I read it, I'm always at this like point in my life where I'm like fucking up or I'm just not where I want to be. And I read it, I'm like, it's cool, man. Like, you know, I'm at right one of these stages and it's yeah. fine. Yeah, and then when you can, I think when you can have that solidity and you can say, yep, okay, this is where I am, then it makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah, between that and all the fantasy fiction books I read, that's probably one of my faves. Good. Who's doing cool shit? Uh, who's doing cool shit? I mean, <coughs> Jamie and Charlie at Strength Culture are always doing cool shit. Um, Josh, who they're you guys they're will... They're on in a couple of weeks. Yes, Josh, who you guys will hear from after this one. He's off to um, Cressy Sports Performance for three months, four months, which will be amazing. Um, we're doing cool shit here at Virtus. Greg's doing cool shit right now in Sydney. But... If I had to pick out one person, um, I would jump on Instagram and check out Steffi Cullen. I really would because she is a machine. She can lift like a fucking Viking and she's smart as shit. She pushes all the right stuff. She's big on women's health, both mental and physical. Um, yeah, big fan. Steffi Cullen. S-T-E-F-I Cullen. Good. Good. Good from her. Last one. Tell me a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't a T-Rex tie shoes? Why not? Because he's extinct. Oh. Be better. <laughs> Change it. Good. Any more for any more? Nah, that's pretty much it. Well done. Love Thank your work. You. I hope this is definitely going to have to be a two-parter. Nah, an, an hour and 40. Shit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Carry on. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you all got plenty out of the last 90 minutes. If you guys would like to follow Coach Cam, you could jump onto Instagram and follow at Coach underscore Cam. If you'd like to follow Virtus Performance, same deal, at Virtus Performance. If you'd like to contact us, uh, shoot us any questions or queries or anything like that, uh, contact us at info at Thank you very much. Bye.